Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Wednesday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Duntire. 315-437-7644 if you'd like to get involved. A lot to get to in today's show. Uh, Dom in Syracuse inspired me, uh, Seth, to bring back the, the Where Are They Now Wednesdays. We mentioned we might try to bring back a, a former SU football star on the show today. For this Wednesday, we're doing it. We're doing it at least this Wednesday. Yeah. And we've got uh, James Mungro set to join us uh, at 12.30. I thought he would be a great uh, player to, to bring on. Uh, his career overlapped uh, with Donovan McNabb, Dwight Freeney. He could speak to some of the games we were talking about yesterday. Uh Incidentally, James Mungro has the same amount of 100-yard rushing games in his career as Floyd Little. They both had 13 in their careers, and and that's two more than Jim Brown. So James Mungro had a pretty darn good career uh, while he was here at Syracuse. So we'll catch up with him at 1230. And then uh, at 1.30, we're going to talk some uh, current SU football. Uh, We'll preview Syracuse and Pittsburgh with uh, Brian Batko from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. A lot to get to uh, from a baseball standpoint as well, Seth. Uh, we said on the show yesterday, I like it when we when, when we look smart, when we preview the game, yeah. we say this might be the key, and then it turns out to be the key. We said it might come down to the bullpens yesterday. I, I, I guess we just didn't expect it to come down to, to yeah. eight and two-thirds innings of bullpen work out of the Yankees. Yeah, I, I jokingly tweeted after the game, uh, the Yankees followed the formula. Get enough out of your starter and let the bullpen do the rest. That's right, turn it over to your bullpen. <laughs> enough last night turned out to be ha- a third of an inning. Uh, but yeah, that was incredible. I, I mean, just it really was. And, and you know, I, I know yesterday on the show I mentioned make Irvin Santana throw pitches, get into that bullpen, and you could see why. I mean, he let up four four runs over two innings. And then they they got into the bullpen, and the Yankees kept scoring over the next few innings. Um, That Twins bullpen did not stack up to the Yankee bullpen. We knew that going in. Uh, And and there may only be one bullpen that does stack up to the Yankee pen, and it just so happens to be the one that they're going to go face in Cleveland. Yeah, next opponent. Um, But that was an incredible game from the jump. Um, The odd part is, and I guess this is a weird feeling as a Yankee fan, considering the last five-ish years of teams, they got behind in the first inning. I didn't feel like the game was over. I, I really didn't. I, I thought that they were going to come back. I thought that they had the firepower to come back, and I thought that they would, um, which is certainly a different feeling than the last time they were in the playoffs when they went up against Dallas Keuchel and they went down 3 nothing, and, and you just knew that thing was over. Uh, you didn't get that feeling last night, and I, I at no point last night in that first inning, as bad as it was, at no point did I think, well, it's over. I tell you what I was feeling, Seth, uh, after the Twins jumped out to that 3 nothing lead. I was feeling the Yanks better do something here in the bottom of the first. And I, and I firmly believe that that game, I, I'm not saying the Yankees would have necessarily lost. I think the game goes differently if Santana gets through that first inning totally with, with a zero. If it's 3-0 after one and he's a, able to settle in and he gets past you know Judge and Sanchez the first time around... And you know he could go and sit on on the bench in the dugout with a three nothing lead going into the second. 
I think it's a different game from there on out. And so that kind of leads me to to the point that I wanted to start this show with. If I said to you, Seth, pick a a play or individual performance in this game last night that was most responsible for the victory, a lot of them to choose from, your answer would be what? Well, based on what you said, it would be the D.D. Gregorius home run. I think that you can make a very, very, very strong case for Chad Green's two strikeouts in the first inning because that place was deflated, right? You had you had a three a three nothing deficit, and Severino's coming out of the game, and all of a sudden you're you're into your bullpen already, but then Green strikes out one, and he strikes out two, and the electricity comes back into the building, and you could feel it through the TV. I, I thought you could at least. The electricity was back. Maybe not to the level that it was pregame. It was pretty hyped up pregame in the Bronx. It, it, it was back a little bit by mid-first. And then, of course, Didi hits the home run. I would go with David Robertson, though. I, I really would. Uh, the combination of what he and Chad Green gave the Yankees uh, and, and the idea that David Robertson, uh, a closer, an established closer, a guy who's on a four-year, $52 million contract to be the guy who finishes games— Came in in the third inning, threw three and a third innings of of shutout ball, pitched as well as he did, career longs, career high in pitches, stabilized things, got it to Tommy Canely and the back end of that bullpen. Um, I think that is the performance of the game. And, and again, I something I put out there on Twitter last night, if the Yankees make a run here this year, if they make a run next year and this year is seen as kind of a catalyst or a pusher, for, for next year, that David Robertson performance last night is going to be remembered for a very, very, very long time. That he came in and threw three and a, sh- a third innings when that team wa- was at a really delicate point, uh, and, and he didn't let it go, and he was dominant over those three innings. I I, I would have to go with him as the, the MVP or the, the performance of the night. I, I'm glad you, you finished it up with that because you named like three guys. So I was I was wondering where you were going with that. Uh, one name you didn't mention that, that you very well could have. The Judge Homer. Well, th- that, I was going to say Brett Gardner. Oh, uh, sure. Obviously, he had the Homer to, to, to give him the lead. I, I'm going to go back to the bottom of the first inning when he draws a walk. Yep. It's, it's the first batter of the game for the Yankees. And we talked yesterday on the show, you alluded to it a couple moments ago, that if the Yankees were to fall behind, and we talked about this, they had to stay patient. They couldn't just go up there and swing at the first pitch and get over anxious and try to get it back all, all in one at bat. Brett Gardner worked it to a full count. He drew the walk. And, and then, you know, obviously Judge comes up, and, and now you got something going. And and that set the table for D.D. Gregorius, who, who had the, the big home run. You could make the case that that, that, that was the bat of the game. That it set the yes. tone. It, it again. He he made Santana well, and throw. Then judge and then Judge followed it up with right. a very good at bat. Exactly finishing it off with a single, and you know it, it led to you know, Sanchez didn't have a great at bat, swung in a bad pitch, uh, but then Didi putting one in the right field seats. It, it just it all kind of snowballed, and and they talked about this a lot last night, um, and and I saw this floating around with a couple of Yankee writers, but. Uh, you know, the younger guys on the team think of Brett Gardner as the captain. I mean, he is the leader of this team. He sets a tone in the leadoff spot um, amazingly. And I, I, every time I hear this, I can't believe it. He's the longest-tenured Yankee. Uh, I mean, Why I can't you believe I, it? I, I, it. It's just like I remember him. Co- like it's, it's like, oh, I remember when he was a rookie. Like it doesn't feel like he's been there that long. Uh, and he's been on the team for a decade. You know, and it's, it's like one of those kinds of things. But 
he he's clearly a guy in the locker room who has an, a, a ton of who people have a ton of respect for and is that the leader of that team. Um, and for him to set the tone not only in the clubhouse but on the field with that at bat with the home run later, um, I, I thought was huge. I loved after the game he was on Sports Center, and they were talking about the home run. And you, he knew it was gone right away, right? You could tell. And then he stares at Irvin Santana. And he's just like, well, I, I think one of those pitches got a little up and in right before, so I, I had at to him give twice. I had to give it back. third as well. <laughs> but I just, you know, it, again, it was one of those tone setter things. Yes, it was. Like, oh, you're coming up and in at me. Look what I do. And, and he blasted one, and then and then made sure Irvin Santana knew that that he knew what was going on. Yeah, it was a great at bat in the first inning to draw that walk, make Santana work, made him throw seven pitches. He gets on base, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, you're you're coming up there with with Judge and Sanchez to follow. Gregorius hits the home run. Now you're right back in it, and then you think to yourself, you know, we talked yesterday about the importance of scoring first. Now it's three three, and so essentially, you know, who's going to score that next run and take the lead? And then Gardner provides that with a solo homer. Twins would come back to tie it, and then the Yankees. Uh, uh, pour it on from there. Greg Bird, we haven't even mentioned him. He had the big two-out single uh, in the third to give the Yankees what, what turned out to be the, the lead for good. Uh, it was still very early in the game, but that bullpen was absolutely fantastic. You gave the MVP to, to David Robertson. Um, it, you know, I would I would make a strong case for Brett Gardner, but you sure. mentioned you know Chad Green. If that 3 nothing lead turns into 5 nothing. Yeah, boy, I don't know. You know, you say it wasn't Steve, over. and, Steve, and you had 5. If it turned into 4. Like, right. like he, that he came in with men on second and third, second and third, and, one out, and quite literally had to strike out the two guys he faced because if he had even allowed a sack fly, you would have felt even more demoralized sure. and more deflated. Right now, now it's not two and two and a blast. Now it's not you know a bloop and a blast, and you're down one. Now it's oh, we need four runs. We need Gary say we need we need DD Gregorius to hit the grand. Sl- you know it's it's like. That's it. Feels a lot more demoralizing to go down four, and it it may sound silly, but it, you know three feels a lot more reasonable. And to that point, this is going to ca- sound kind of strange because you you know you head to the to the dugout down three nothing, and and you're coming up with your first at bats. You you might have a, actually have a little bit of momentum when you when you run off the field, feeling like man that could have been worse, right? The the Yankees may, maybe feel like hey we got away with one there. It could be four nothing. It could be five nothing. It's just three nothing. Let's go about our business. And, and I, I think you're right. Not that you know. Not that it took any of the wind out of the, the twin sails, certainly. But maybe it breathed some life into the Yankees to some degree. Chad Green comes in, strikes out Buxton, strikes out Castro, and now all of a sudden, all right, you know, could have been a lot worse. Let's get right. it back, and then they get it right back there in the first inning. Yeah, and again, I, I think don't discount the atmosphere. Don't discount the stadium energy. Uh, how many times from 95 to 04 to 05 did we hear Mystique and Aura, Mystique and Aura, and, you know, Kurt Schilling making jokes about it, and, you know, whatever it may have been? I, I think that's legit. I, I mean, I know that, yeah, it's hilarious. These great moments in the 90s were happening at Yankee Stadium every night, and, you know, one night it was Scott Brocious, the next night it was Tino Martinez, the next night it was Derek Jeter. I, okay, I get it. There, there's some kind of joking and, and folklore involved to some extent, but. Like, that's legit. And you went down 3-0, and that place was buzzing, and that place was in a in a, a mode that I have not seen in a long time. I don't know if we've ever seen the new stadium quite like that. Um, and it, the, the wind got taken out of their sails. 
But I think, again, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, Chad Green coming in and striking out two guys, it felt like it got a little bit of that buzz back, right? And and you could see it on, on TV through the break. There was a little bit of that buzz back. And, and Brett Gardner walks, and it gets a little bit louder. And Judge gets a hit, and it gets a little bit louder. And I think that people there... And and the Yankee and, and some of the Yankee fans who were there know the a, a little bit of the history of oh we faced that guy before that's a that's a guy on the mound that I know and that like we've hit and knocked around and you could kind of feel it and sense it and you know Didi hits the home run and all of a sudden the place explodes again you know and and it was right back to where it was pregame and I, again I think that's a huge huge factor in last night's game was that crowd. Joe Girardi compared it to a college football crowd. And that's what it was last night. Brett Gardner, you know, he's been around the block, as you pointed out. Uh, He's the the longest tenured Yankee. He said it was one of the best atmospheres that he's ever played in front of. And again, he's he's been around for quite some time. When you lose your your ace a third of an inning into a do-or-die playoff game against another playoff team, and you dig yourself that kind of hole, it, it takes something special to dig yourself out of it and win the game. And, and I guess that's the point, is that we saw something special out of several different players, we, we, you know, between Green and Robertson, you know, Canely coming in for two and a third and, and, and you know, and ju- didn't ju- give up a single hit. Judge shows up. Judge. Didi Gregorius Bird. in his first playoff at bat hits a home yeah. run. Gregorius, certainly Brett Gardner, you know, Bird again coming through with the two out uh, RBI single to, to give him the lead. Uh, so many big performances uh, yesterday. So that begs the question. Do the Yankees have any chance in the next round? We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll... Uh, Give a little preview to uh, Cleveland and the Yankees set to get going on Thursday. Keep it here. Orange Nation rolls out right after this on ESPN Radio. Underway on ESPN Radio, 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to get involved. Just one guest lined up for you this hour. We've got Brian Batko. He covers the Pitt Panthers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He's set to join us at 1.30. And, and Seth, I guess let's uh, let's kick off hour number two right there uh, with SU football. As we talked about earlier in the week, this feels like a do-or-die game. I mean, whatever cliche you want to throw out there, must win. I know we hate the term must win. It feels like a game that Syracuse absolutely needs for so many reasons. Uh, right? I mean, they're coming off back-to-back yeah. losses to uh, to LSU and NC State. You lose this one, all of a sudden a three-game losing streak could very well turn into a six-game losing streak in the blink of an eye when you've got Clemson, Miami, Florida State uh, next on the schedule. And, and if you want to get this senior class to a bowl game, you at least have to get to five wins. And it, it stands to reason that this in order to get the five, five wins, you, you got to get this one. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of the year, this was the, the one you had to get to get to six. 
Um, it is now the one you have to get to get to five because you lost Can't get to Middle six Tennessee. Get to five. <laughs> well, because you had lost yes. to Middle Tennessee State. Uh, you know, it's it, it's just that that's kind of how this happened uh, this year. This this feels, as you said, like a very very important game. Uh, it, it feels like much more of a measuring stick than NC State or LSU. And, you know, I know that we want to compare Syracuse to the top programs and, and these top 25 schools, uh, but that's not where they are now. Like, let's focus on first the teams that are in the ACC that are not quite as good as Clemson and NC State and Florida State and uh, LSU and the SEC. You know, let's focus more so on the schools that are, quote unquote, on your level or maybe a little bit above your level and see where you match up. Right. Where does Syracuse match up with Pittsburgh right now? Where does Syracuse match up with Wake Forest right now, with Boston College right now? And for that reason, I think this weekend's a huge game. I don't really know what to make of of these Panthers. You look at what they've done to date, and they're 2-3. and three. Uh, They opened with Youngstown State and nearly lost. They win that game in overtime, 28-21. Then they get crushed by Penn State. At yep. Penn State. Penn State's really good. Sure. Then they get crushed by Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's really good. You're talking of about course. two top 10 teams at the time two they faced them. Two potential playoff teams. Then they go on the road to Georgia Tech, who plays the weird you know, triple option, and it's tough to prepare for. And they got crushed by Georgia Tech. But again, it's a difficult opponent to prepare for, and it was a road game. And then they come home and they play Rice, who's not very good, and they, they beat Rice. And so they're 2-3. and three. What, are we, what are we supposed to make of these Pitt Panthers? I don't know. I don't know. I, I know nothing about Pittsburgh I, I, because of that. Like, you know, I, I've watched them. I've watched games they've played in. They don't look like a very good team. Uh, but they're two and three. You know, they've got the same record as Syracuse. And, and you could say the same thing about Syracuse, by the way. I've watched them. They're not a very good team. Right? Well, couldn't that, couldn't yes. that description, like, but look, and I'm not comparing the two because the, the losses for one are way worse than the losses for the other, right? right. And, and Syracuse's, well, two of their three losses have been significantly better than the, the three losses that, uh, that, that Pitt has had. And it, I, I get that. But, like, I feel like I've got no grasp for what they are because they, they, had, they needed overtime against Youngstown State, because they just. They then got crushed in three straight games, and they beat up on BC uh, on Rice like you're supposed to. You know, Here's the you're thing. supposed to you, beat that. Team. You put both schedules side by side, and Syracuse played two really good teams, LSU and NC State, and and they were close losses. Whereas you know Pittsburgh played two really good teams in Penn State and Oklahoma State and got crushed. Uh, they both. I think had a performance that they would like to have back. It just so happens that that Pitt won that game in overtime against Youngstown State, but you know Syracuse lost to, to Middle Tennessee. So I think those two two games are are kind of equivalent. Although Middle Tennessee is certainly you know the fact that they're an, an FBS school. Uh, I think you know that's a, a more a, you know a better opponent. I was going to say a better quality opponent certainly than Youngstown State. Uh, and, and Rice is kind of the equivalent to, to Central Michigan in a way that it's a again it's a home game against a lesser team. That you should beat and you should beat them handily. You know, Pitt beat Rice forty two ten. Syracuse beat Central Michigan forty one seventeen. So, so you're right in that the schedules are equivalent in that way. Um, but the two tough teams that SU played, they they played them well, at least a lot better than than Pitt did. So, I tend to think 
you know, I said this on the television television version of Orange Nation last night. I said I get concerned or, or worried to say that this is a game that Syracuse should win. And, uh, you know, we had Brent Axe on the show as we normally do. And Brent said, no, don't worry about it, Steve. You could say that. This is a game that Syracuse it should is. win. It is. Uh, it's, it's a, a home game, game you should win. Against a team that, you know, you're certainly equal then, maybe a touch better then. Uh, and, you know, both of these teams need it. I mean, this is a mammoth game. You know, we keep saying it's a huge game for Syracuse. Let's be honest, this is a huge game for Pittsburgh as well. Um, you know, the winner gets out of this thing 3-3. Three and three. The loser is 2-4. and four. And the schedule gets you know much more difficult for, for, both. for both teams. They both have Clemson. They both have Florida State. They both have or sorry, Pittsburgh's in the other division. This, Pitt's got NC State they still have NC coming, State up coming next. Up. You know, Pitt's got NC State next. They've got obviously Miami on the schedule. They've got Virginia Tech down in Blacksburg. So I see, mean, because they they've play got Pitt, some very difficult you know very difficult games coming up too. Because they play Pitt every year, I think they're always in the same division. They're not. They're not. That, right. That's the the one crossover game that they have the same. In fact, since you bring that up, you know, we do this, I feel like, every year during the basketball season when Syracuse plays Duke or Syracuse plays Louisville or Syracuse plays Pittsburgh. We say, you know, who is SU's rival in, in basketball? If I were to say to you right now, who is SU's rival in football? Is it Pitt or Boston College? Well, see, that's just it to me. Or neither. Like, neither of them are. To nobody me, cares. The one that would, would come to mind first is is BC, and I think that might be, you know, because it always tends to be at the end of the schedule. Um, but you look at, at, you know, you go back in history, Syracuse has played Pittsburgh more than any other team in their history. This will be the 73rd meeting all time between Syracuse and Pittsburgh. They've only played Boston College 50 times. I, I Again, for what it's worth, I found that rather surprising. So you would think the team that you've played the most, uh, that they would be, you know, absolutely your rival not sure that's the case. And maybe it's because, you know, as we pointed out with James Mungro, uh, this program hasn't been, you know, quote-unquote good, or at least ranked uh, since 2001. It's been 16 years, so maybe that's part of the reason you feel like they don't have a true rival. Um, but, yeah, if you ask me right now, I, I'd probably lean toward BC. Um, I mean, you also weren't in the same conference as BC for a solid decade. True. Good point. I mean, that's why they've played less games, right? But you even said, "I said, who's your rival?" And you said, "Is it BC?" I mean, that was the first na- that was the first school that came to well, your mind. You know why I think about it is because that last weekend is typically rivalry weekend, isn't right. it? That's why I just South said South Carolina plays I, Clemson. I think you know, because that that game Bama tends plays to come Auburn. at the end of the year. I think that's why we think of BC as the rival. Well, and that weekend is always the right is the weekend that every rivalry in the country is played. It's Alabama Auburn. It's Mississippi Mississippi State. It's Florida Miami. It's you know. Uh, Clemson, South Carolina. It's Duke, UNC. It's you know every every UCLA, uh, USC. I think is typically that last weekend. Like it's every week, every other team in the country, every other conference in the country sets up their rivalries for that last week. Uh, and you kind of see like, oh, maybe they're trying to do that in the ACC with Boston College playing that slot every year uh, with SU. But I, I look, I, I wouldn't argue if you told me that it was Pitt. I just. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not looking. I'm at just kind of, I was just throwing it no, out no, there. No, no, I, I came like across I, it in the game notes, and I thought that that was interesting because you know, again, they've played Pitt more than anyone, and you would think, well, automatically that's the rival. Then they've played him so many more times than BC. But when I thought about it, BC was the first school that came to mind, and I think it was the first school that came to your mind as well. And, and again, yeah. a lot of it I do think has to do with the scheduling, the fact that it always seems to be uh, at the end of the year. But yeah, this will be the 73rd all-time meeting between Syracuse and Pitt. Uh, the Panthers own the all-time 
overtime edge uh, with 38 wins, 31 losses, and uh, and three ties. We're going to take another timeout, 315-437-7644, if you like to check in. Again, we'll get more into Syracuse and Pittsburgh with Brian Batko from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette at 1.30. When we come back, today's business, some of the top headlines around the rest of the sports world. Keep it here. We'll be right back.